Hi and welcome to the Beyond Being Well podcast. My name is Meg and I'm joined this evening by my co-host Dave Hale who is also my husband and partner and um, you paused for a long time on husband. The father of my child and a big supporter of um, my work and Beyond Being Well in general. So tonight we're going to talk about escaping the nine to five and we're going to really just debunk some myths around what it takes to escape the nine to five or the rat race, Um, maybe some of the misconceptions around slow living and tree changing and to really um, give a practical kind of overview of the choices that we made based on how we were feeling in order to create more space in our lives, but also to, I guess, most importantly, live a values-based life, um, which was the main reason why we both left the nine-to-five. I want to just say up front that it's really important that you embody this wisdom in a way that makes sense for you. So I think particularly around this issue and slow living, there's a lot of advice, a lot of people telling you what to do. And the truth of the matter that we found when we were reading the literature was, um, you know, none of those things entirely resonated with our lives and our experiences and what we wanted to create. And so what we did is we took inspiration from a lot of people, but it's not about like a how-to kind of path or we're not going to share like this linear kind of model of what it takes because every single person is going to have different issues to deal with. I also think it's worth mentioning that during listening to this podcast and I've been there a thousand times, there's going to be thoughts going through your head saying, but I can't do that because, and that's not going to work for me because, which are all totally legitimate, Mm. but just being aware of them as they come up, you know, that's kind of highlighting some of your beliefs and your um, thinking patterns that might be kind of standing in the way of you and and living your own values-based life. So it's just something to be aware of and to go really gently and compassionately with yourself when you're listening to this, but also when you're making any transition in your life. Um, so we're going to talk about five myths, um, that we've kind of encountered and we're going to debunk those by explaining kind of how they didn't really apply in real life and what we did instead. So Dave, welcome. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's kind of nice having a co-host and not just sitting (laughs) there like on my own having these conversations. Good to be in the same room. Yeah, that's good. Very rarely are we in the same room. <laughs> We're actually in the room a lot together because part of the um, the bonuses of neither of, of both of us working part time is that we spend a lot of time together. Some mm. some would say too much. Uh, some, <laughs> not me. <laughs> so let's start by kind of for those who don't know us. Um, filling everyone in on our journey and and how we got here and the the steps that we kind of took. Um, Are you able to, more succinctly than I would be able to, share kind of our transition over the last three or four years? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, to do it succinctly, we were both, I guess, living the the nine-to-five life in Canberra in the public service, um, which in reality was probably more a a seven-to-six 
than a nine to five. <laughs> um, so we'd both been there for a number of years. Um, and for a variety of reasons that life wasn't really resonating with where we were. Um, and we quit and <laughs> we, we moved overseas. I, I took up a volunteer position, um, in Myanmar, um, and you started working in the humanitarian sector for an NGO, having left Dozade. Um, and from there, the journey took a lot of twists and turns. Um, I guess our life in those early years, or that first year, really resembled the same sort of work patterns as it had in Canberra, just in a different place. Um, but we, I guess, bit the bullet and knew we were trying to, to do something different. Um, and it evolved from there. Um, you know, we set up a social enterprise. We moved back to Australia. We took a year off. I started consulting. Um, and then, you know, Meg obviously started this beautiful business. Um, and I took a part-time job and started consulting sort of in, in the margins as needed, um, as Meg did as well. And um, just to add that we were house-sitting in that year off. Yeah. So we came back from overseas <laughs> and made the intentional decision to, to like not get a rental and not buy a house. So we actually house-sat around Australia for mm. that year. Yep, very true. Um, and had a baby as well, um, <laughs> which I guess changed, changed the reality somewhat and changed... Um, it, it could have changed the structure a lot. Um, I, I was certainly looking for full-time employment um, in the weeks, it should have been months, but it was the weeks leading up to, to Millie being born. Um, and essentially on the same day, I was offered a, a full-time position um, in the Victorian Public Service. So I was offered a part-time position locally, um, and I didn't blink. I just went for the part-time job, and we've just been, I guess, shifting the, the pieces um, ever since. But with that broad structure of both working part-time, both consulting as needed, um, and just really being very intentional in, in all the work that we were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You did that a lot more succinctly than I could. You also made it sound easy, but I'm sure we're going to mm. unpack some of what, yeah, was, it's, it's, what was really tough, actually, wasn't it? Absolutely. It, it's, it's not an easy journey, and I think it is often romanticised, you know, for good reason, because the outcome is, you know, it can be very beautiful and um, very rewarding, but it, it's certainly not easy. Are you able to maybe just, before we move into the myths, h highlight a couple of, like, of the really hard bits where, like you mentioned when you were faced with that, the old kind of nine-to-five job, mm. commuting back to Melbourne, and then, um, because we live in the country now, so Dave did mention yeah. that after we housed that, I was 36 weeks pregnant. Um, we had no jobs, no house, um, and we felt fine for some bizarre reason. Um, I was beginning to get that real nesting instinct, so, I, so we wanted somewhere, and we were kind of waiting for something to move to, to give us, like, we were waiting for a job to make us make a decision about where we'd live, even though we wanted to be in the country outside Melbourne. We also didn't want to take that risk in case we got a job in Melbourne. And the day that we decided to move without any job, everything fell into place because we'd made that one decision. Mm. Um, so that's just to say where we where we do live now. 
Um, are there a, a couple of other moments that stick out to you in terms of being really hard and that it wasn't really clear cut what that next step was? Um, yeah, I think certainly, um, you know, after that first sort of year and a half of having that, that stable job overseas and then facing that decision point where, where you were quite unwell, um, with adrenal fatigue and burnout, um, and whether, you know, I guess whether the model was for me to, to return to full-time work and, I guess, provide that support um, for you, you know, in that recovery and, and while you were establishing the business. Um, and just really questioning, you know, whether that model could work and whether if I was consulting, I could actually do that in a sustainable way because it was, it's an absolute unknown. Um, you know, you go off your experience of 10 or 15 years <clears throat> where, um, you know, you learn how to do job interviews and you learn how to apply for jobs and you get into a structure and you get into a pattern and you get confidence from that. So when you, um, when you pull the plug and you try and do something very different, um, you know, there's, you've got nothing to, you've got no confidence mm. that it's going to work necessarily. Mm. Um, so I guess we were very fortunate that we could house sit and we could, um, work to live, um, without some of the other pressures that, um, that I guess could come along with mortgages and, and kids at the time. So mm. yeah, we're quite fortunate in that, but yeah, certainly that was another big decision point. Mm, that was a hard one for sure. Mm. Um, and I think that whole constant evolution has been in part, like just shedding all of the conditioning and expectation that we thought, um, that surrounded us. And, the more that we've made decisions that are aligned with our kind of internal values and the life that we want to do and also our why, like how we want to contribute to community and so forth, the more we've stopped looking over our shoulder mm. and we've started being like so much more autonomous and mm. looking for that approval. <clears throat> so what it's like a muscle, isn't it? Yeah. What about you? Was there, was there doubt? Was there challenge? Oh, so much. So much. I think one of the biggest, the hardest lessons in all of us, just reflecting when you were talking it through, was when we... So I quit my kind of career mm. in a way and and started the social enterprise overseas in, in Myanmar, which is the hardest country to start a business in in the world, ranked the hardest country. And I'd never started a business before and I never started, certainly never worked in social enterprise. Mm. Um, and... I just replicated the same pattern mm. in that role as I had that had led me to burn out in the first place in, in my um, kind of other work. And so that was such a deeply painful lesson to learn mm. that I, it wasn't necessarily what we were doing that was so important. It was how we were doing it. And mm. that's something I teach like I'm just, I bang on about it all the time, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess... You know, we found that a few times, like I was saying, we both took on new roles mm. um, after leaving public service, but we are both replicating what we were doing yeah, totally. there in terms of behaviours um, as we were in Canberra and, mm. and then with, with Harmony, the social enterprise as well. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it, it's a hard pound to break. It's a shedding of, you know, <clears throat> of layers every time you try something new. You, mm. you, you realise more about yourself and 
and as a collective too. But let's get into the myths because I think it. we could bang on all day. Um, are you starting? No, I'm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm starting. You're starting. So tell me about the first myth. <laughs> We've practiced this. Yeah, it's um, a rehearsal. Well, I guess this notion, and it's a good place to start, this notion that there is an epiphany mm. that, that um, you know, potentially we had or, or you might have down the track, um, that's this light bulb moment um, where everything becomes clear in terms of what you need to do and where you need to go. Um, and that, you know, for our experience, certainly is an absolute myth. You know, maybe it does happen for some people, and that's amazing. I'm very, very <laughs> envious. Um, but it, it was never that clear cut for us, and the starting point for us um, was, I think, was just knowing where we didn't want to be, mm. um, and that was, you know, that that nine to five existence, um, that that work for the sake of work, and you know, there is purpose that comes along with that. Um, but it wasn't providing the reward that we were looking for in our lives. Um, so there wasn't, there wasn't just one moment where we both came home from work and said, I know my purpose. I know my purpose. I know my life's purpose. I know what I need to be doing and how I'm going to get there. It wasn't like that. And as I sort of, you know, I'm, I'm sure you picked up in, in the rambling, um, narrative (laughs) of the past few years, you know, that's, that's the reality of, of what it was. It was a jumble and it was, um, trying lots of different, yeah, two steps forward and one step back. And through, through that experience, through that gradual evolution, we we have discovered what we're, you know, what it looks like to live a values based life and what works for us. Um, and it will keep changing. Mm. Absolutely. No doubt about it. We're, we've had a stable sort of couple of years um, but it will keep evolving and that will reflect our life circumstances and um, all range of different inputs. But yeah, I think just to say that, that that epiphany is certainly a myth in our experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And at the end of this, um, when we finish the myths, we're going to answer some of the questions that um, you beautiful ladies asked on my Facebook page. So we're going to cover a little bit more about that as well. Um I guess just to pick up on your point, like what do you, you say that the rat race wasn't fulfilling us. Like what was it about it that didn't align at that time, do you think? Um, oh, that's a tough question. I, it, I think it, it was, it just wasn't meeting our needs in terms of, you know, we really value adventure. We really value time. We really value, mm, you know, experience. Sti- stillness and experience. Mm. And, you know, yes, it was ticking all these boxes in terms of stability, in terms of material possession, which is lovely. And, um, you know, there were friendships and, mm. you know, stable networks that you form through through that experience. And really and, fulfilling work and yeah, yeah, absolutely. relationships. And, and that's not to say that's that's not for everyone mm. like like some people who have those values are fulfilled yeah and that's like that's mm. also just to say that we don't like judge other people's life choices in any way absolutely it's about finding expression for those 
your inner callings on the outside of your life, like on, on what your life actually looks like. And that looks really different. Like people don't, some people really value material things and mm. there's no, I don't walk into people's houses and be like, Oh, the clutter is killing me. Cause to be honest, like having a toddler is pretty cluttering, yeah. you know, cause other people express values in different ways. But for us, I think you're right. Like it was the mid, it was the consumption that went along with, working like the more we worked the more we had to buy Mm. and that really felt like uncomfortable yeah and i think for me particularly it was trying to find ways to make a contribution as well Mm. um and you were probably doing that more through your work than i was um but that was a particular urging and um you know calling that i had that wasn't wasn't being met yeah through that work yeah um and i've been very fortunate that you know, step by step, that has that has really um, come to the fore in, in mm. what I have been doing over the last few years, mm. which has been fantastic. So many things we could talk about. Like now, I'm getting started. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I could just go talk about this forever. Should we go on to myth two? Let's go on to myth two. Um, so myth two is all about the knight in shining armor. Yeah. So this myth goes something like, if I just sit. And be patient and do my job really well, someone's going to notice me and offer me something really amazing. Like a knight's going to ride along and, and save me from the nine to five hell and, and redeem me. And I definitely had that myth for a long time playing out. Like I, I honestly remember checking my emails, waiting for someone to, to like give me something. And it came back to this sense of like, not wanting to take responsibility for where I'd got to and wanting a savior to come and show me how to get out of it. Because for me, like my whole identity was wrapped up in my career. I'd, I had two master's degrees in this, in this and an undergraduate degree. That's a lot of hex money spent on my education. Plus I'd worked like, you know, in a lot of different capacities at a, at a very young age. And that's not to say that I look back on any of it and regret it in any way because I'm so grateful for that career and I and I still work in that career in a way and I still have really good friends and like that is still a really big part of me and making social change is still really important to me in, in lots of different ways. But in terms of like the time I wanted to spend on things that really filled me up, I didn't have that mm. in that um, structure. Yeah. So just to say that, like, there is no knight in shining armor. You have to be your knight in shining armor. And that's why so much of this work is about empowering yourself and knowing yourself and accepting those parts of yourself that you deem unworthy. Because the more you can do that, the more you realize that you are your own savior and you can step out and do different things. And no one is going to judge you except nearly as harshly as you're judging yourself. Um the big kind of takeaway in in terms of this, in terms of practically how we did it is it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. Like it's all about fostering connections with people. And this doesn't happen behind your computer screen. This happens by having, getting out there and having real life conversations with people that are doing things that you're interested in with telling people what you're passionate about, sharing like big dreams and the more you foster relationships without any expectation that they're going to return something to you and they're going to be your knight in shining armor, people know you and people come to you for things. So 
like there's a couple of ways that that's played out number one is like in my business everything I do is about relationships I'm not interested in in becoming a six-figure like life coach I want to have interesting relationships with people and I want to add value in those relationships and so a lot of my clients come from friends of friends and referrals um you know I build relationships with other practitioners I build relationships with the people that I pay to help me out and it's all just this web of like connection and the more you can understand that it's about fostering those connections and that work comes through relationships rather than work comes through you applying or you sitting behind your computer or you work comes from putting yourself out there and telling people you're interested in work and what you're interested in doing like that's how the world works that's just how it works and i think as the internet generation facebook generation we kind of lost that yeah definitely. can you tell like can you talk about how relationships have supported your whole business yeah well absolutely and in terms of the myth, it's that I think that there's a hero that's going to come along through no work of your own that's going mm, to save you. Yeah. Like, relationships, I think in terms of partnerships, have been the foundation of everything that we've been doing. Mm. But there's not been, like, this one sort of figure over the top that's... Telling us what to do. <laughs> well, you know, that grabs your hand and says, this is the way. Mm. But relationships, in terms of a partnership, absolutely... Um, so, you know, almost every single contract I've had through consulting, um, over the past three years has come from people that know me or that have been referred to me by people that know me, um, which is extraordinary. Um, when, where I invest in friendships, where I invest, um, in, in, I guess putting myself out there, it, it's paid off in the long term, mm. and it, it, it's not. It doesn't need to be strategic. You know, I'm going mm. to use this person to get this job. It's not about that. It's forming meaningful relationships with individuals where you can help them and they can help you. Yeah. Um, because there's a genuine respect and a genuine warmth between you. Um, and you know, when we came back to Australia, and I was looking for for work. You know, when you know before Millie was born. Um, I applied for so many jobs mm. and was, I think, overqualified for so many jobs that I just wasn't getting interviews. Um, and the one job that I'm in now that I am extremely <laughs> unqualified for in terms of the experience that I've had, I got immediately because I reached out to the manager. We had a we had a coffee together and we just connected mm, on value on a values on level. values mm. and. And that was the one job that I was the least experienced for that I got immediately. Mm. Um, so it's extraordinary just what human connection um, can, can foster and I think can really support this, this transformation, this, um, this transition to, to a more values-based um, life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Such a good example. <clears throat> um, should we move on to the third myth? Me again? Yeah. Yes. Um, the the myth that um, you need to earn six figures, or that um, that the end point in your transition is getting back to a six figure salary because that's what you need to live. Sorry, can I just interrupt? Because I it. just thought of a really good thing that I oh, meant to say like oh, right. a little while ago, and then it, it like exited my brain. It's fine. Soz. Yeah. So just on the relationships thing. All right. 
bit of a catchphrase for you. For me. <laughs> well, for listeners and, oh, okay. and you. Yeah. If you, So a lot of, you know, the market, because it goes into the next minute as well, a lot of the marketing speak talks about clients and sales. And we just totally don't see life like that. Like I think mm. if you can get away from the mindset of clients and sales – a, it makes you so much less scared to put yourself out there and, and offer something, you know, a skill that you have for money. And believe me that you have many skills that you can get money for. Um, so instead of focusing on clients and sales, focus on people and value. So the people that you can connect with and the value you can give them. Every single one of us can provide someone with value and to solve a problem for them. And it's just about really thinking what do I have that I'm going to get paid for that I could get paid for and who do I need to talk to to kind of start adding value in that way so catchphrase over continue I will edit it so that it went back to no, the <laughs> uh, so the myth was around six figures six figures yeah um, as this sort of aspiration you know model success even if it is in a different form, you know, doing something that you're more passionate about. Um, and, you know, it is hard to escape that mindset that um, to look at income first um, and then life second. Um, and I can absolutely empathise with, you know, those of you that have mortgages or have kids and and think that, you know, we have to sort out the income first um, before anything else can change. And, I mean, that's true to a certain extent, but I think for us, we had the opportunity to to evolve our income and to work out what we needed to... how much we needed to work to earn what we needed to earn to live the life that we wanted to live. Mm. Um so it was we we flipped it on its head a bit in terms of um, really doing the numbers to work out what we required to sustain us um, to 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 achieve the feelings that we wanted to feel yeah. rather than to achieve a certain level of material wealth or otherwise mm. yeah yeah um, and to work back from that point um, and you know we have had to to shift things around and to to grow and to change you know babies and houses and mortgages do do add different dimensions to that equation um but really focusing on the lifestyle first mm, what you want to feel what you want to feel how much does it cost um to to achieve that um and then looking at career and income mm. from that from that place um is is that what you yeah, found 100 percent. and interestingly neither of us aspire to have six-figure businesses um well like it'd be nice but like that's not our, our primary intention at all in terms of having businesses like our businesses support our lifestyle as you said <laughs> But kind of, it's a really hard mentality to escape because everywhere is shouting at you that success looks like mm. monetary wealth, mm. and it's just it's really hard, like it's really hard to kind of switch that off. And I think something I did really early on was 
I, I was, you know, ask, I was following a lot of business advice because I'd never worked in business before. It didn't really resonate with our values and was quite masculine and, and marketing focused. And it did hold up that model to the point where we were beginning to be like, oh, maybe that is what we'd want. But I think the more, again, we've gotten comfortable with why we're doing this, like why we're doing all of this, it's for a reason and it's not to, to earn billions and billions of dollars. But even if you did want to do it, that's fine too. It's just getting really clear on the data and not using big grandiose statements like I can't afford that or I couldn't do that because I have a mortgage or mm. like we all have to pay for shelter, whether it's rent or mortgage. We all have liabilities that we're paying off and, and but like what can I do within the constraints of me and getting really clear on how much he spends, getting really clear on um, on what is the mint like, what enough feels like, because we always want more and we always feel like there's never going to be enough. Mm. For us, it's like one overseas holiday a year. Mm. This year we'll have two. Bonus. Greedy. Um, it's being able to eat out and mm. have nice coffees with friends. It's being able to have adventures like road trips and whatever, and that's it. Like that's. That's our aspiration. So why would we need a million dollars for that? Mm. You know? Um, and Meg's being very modest in that she she spends a lot of time going through, you know, incoming expenditure. And we have spreadsheets and it is boring. And mm. I'm very grateful for, for what Meg does on that. Um, but, yeah, it does take work to understand exactly um, how to get that balance right. And it... it does take boring spreadsheets sometimes um but it 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 really does ground you and you can really um overestimate um how much income you do need because our capacity to respond to our circumstances Mm. is extraordinary um and it's it's hard to bite that bullet and to think you know what is a twenty thousand dollar let less income going to look like in terms of my lifestyle Mm. um but i think you'd be shocked but just to um give quickly the example of what we were talking about today um meg was talking to a bank um, for a home loan and they said oh you know all looks good the only red flag is um (laughs) you'll need to explain why dave's income jumped by more than 20 percent from 15 16 financial year to 17, 18 financial 16, 17, yeah. 16, 17, 17. Oh, sorry, 15, 16, 16, 17. Um, and, you know, it went up substantially. And I was like, well, I chose not to work that much in 15, 16 because we didn't need to. That, <laughs> yeah. that was when we were house-sitting. That was a lifestyle choice. Um, took the foot off the gas. Um, and then <laughs> in 16, 17 the foot back on the gas yeah, yeah. we had a baby we were saving for a for a home uh, for a deposit um so i was working more to my earning potential um but i guess to explain that to a bank that you know we just didn't really feel like earning that much <laughs> in, in a particular financial year it, it obviously seems a bit odd yeah but it's i thought it was a good amusing it's, it is. it's so but it's so like that has happened to us so many times where like the system is basically set up to make us work nine to five. Like everything is set up. Like we could earn more money. Sorry, we could loan more money for a home loan having nine to five jobs that paid half as much as what we earn now. Yeah. 
um, than we would running our own businesses. And these are the sacrifices that, that we make and we're like p- totally happy, but we are constantly amused by like that the just computer says no for lots of things because we just like, like we couldn't get a phone because we didn't have an address. When we first came when back we first to came Australia, back. we were house sitting and neither us, you know, I was doing a bit of consulting, but neither us had permanent incomes with an employer contact number or fixed address. Um, so we're giving all these details to Telstra and they said, mm, no, we can't, <laughs> we can't give you a phone contract. Um, you know, there are, um, homeless people that, you know, have a greater chance of getting a phone contract than we did. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. The system. So, um, I don't tangent. know where we're going with the tangent. There was something I wanted to say about money. Mm. But I can't remember what it was. We'll come back to it halfway through the next one. It'll... <laughs> it was a really good one too. Right. Um, I guess just on money, like, it's so easy to bury your heads in the sand. And I think we did for a long time. But, but you know, where your energy goes, like, you'll see results. So if you focus on building your money, being smarter with your money, knowing about your money... And just get out of that fear of, like, dealing with it. You're going to be in such a better position. And the other thing to say is, like, we spend less now even though we work less. And the myth is that the more you work, the less you spend. But it's like the more you work, the more you spend. Because to stay in work in terms of clothes, in terms of transport, in terms of, like, keeping up with the Joneses style investment in terms of like just material stuff in terms of lunches but mostly for us in terms of health costs Mm. like keeping us functionally Mm. um operational 365 days of the year in a nine-to-five job like it costs a lot of money and now i think we can respond to when one of us is sick and we can adapt and we can you know we can respond to how we feel and like particularly for women i talk about this a lot we just don't operate on the same cycle as men. And and we do feel different every single day of our, of our 28 day cycle and having the freedom to respond to that intuition, like reconnects us with our feminine and allows that freedom and, and that wellbeing to flow. But it's just like suddenly when you're working less, you don't need as much money because you you're not spending to soothe yourself mm. in a way. Mm. You're not spending for convenience. Like, can you think of an example of like that convenience spending? Well, I mean, Canberra was mm. it was dry cleaning rather than ironing. Yeah. And, um, you know, eating out rather than you know cooking, cooking. for the week. Um, yeah, I mean, there's any number of things like. Even when you're busy, you go to Coles every other night because mm. you don't have the time to to do a proper shop, mm. and it just yeah, it just sort of magnifies your your expenses. And just the more your head is like busy and overwhelmed with all those tabs, the more you you are going to purchase just to respond to a feeling or of discomfort or you're going to spend to solve a problem. Yeah. Whereas now like there's space and there's space in our minds and in our days and in our weeks, like mm. we still work really hard. Yeah. Um, but there's space and within space there's freedom and there's choice and there's intention. And I think that's been the biggest lesson for us. But um, there's a lot we can talk about with money. Maybe we should mm. do a whole podcast on money. Yeah. 
Kate Flanders, C-A-I-T, has a um, phenomenal blog on mindful money and mindful budgeting. So, yeah, definitely check her out. Yeah. Next me. Your turn. Where are we up to? Oh, yeah, the ducks in a line. So we talked about it kind of already, but this is the myth that you need to plan everything within an inch of its life before you leave the nine to five, and then one day when all the ducks line up, you're going to be able to do it. The ducks only line up when the mama duck starts walking. So you need to start walking to get a sense of, A, what you're walking towards. Like like Dave said, you might know what you're walking away from, but you want to know begin to like get some clarity on what you're walking towards and the only way to do that is to try things and to feel how they feel in your body and to be mindful of like the rebound like take action and then pause and wait for a reaction wait to see how it feels and it might sound like hell scary but I think it gets to a tipping point where not having any change and variation is just as suffocating as having too much change in your life. Like humans need both uncertainty and certainty to thrive. And when that you hit that tipping point, you're not going to have any choice but to take those baby steps forward. And when you do, when you realize that a landmine doesn't go off, it'll give you the confidence to take a few more baby steps forward. And the more you do that and you realize that no one really gives a shit, <laughs> then you get the confidence to go even further. And so it doesn't happen from sitting behind your computer and planning everything meticulously. It happens from feeling what you're interested in, feeling what you're met, like responding to in the sensory data that's coming in. It's in fostering those relationships and taking opportunities when they're thrown at you. Mm. Like we've had so many things thrown at us and we've just been like, yes, men. Like we're like, yes, yes. Even if they're not 100% like our dream thing, there is no such thing as a dream thing. There's only how does this feel in my body and does it align with our values? And if those two things are met, why not? Yep. Why not? Like it's getting rid of that idea that the form is going to be perfect and it's going to come in exactly the way you want and it's going to give you exactly what you need all at once. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I like the analogy of the mama duck has to start walking mm. um and also that idea of saying yes to opportunities um and that that's so important and has been so important for us um both in terms of supporting our lifestyle but also you grow through opportunities mm, totally. and you do you do learn what what feels good and what what direction you want to go in through that diversity of experience um, and the more opportunities that you're exposed to and the more you can learn through, through each one of those, those chances, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes they're hard lessons, but you can always take away something to build on for mm, another opportunity. Totally. Um, so I think that's incredibly important. Um, there was, I think the one thing I wanted to say on this one was just acknowledging that you can't change your starting point like you are where you are yeah um and that's where you've got to start from it would be nice to think you know i've got you know two other degrees or you know i wish i was just a little bit further up the line or i wish i had some more you know different contacts the starting point is the starting point for you right now Mm. um and you can't change that all you can do is to take the step from the point where you are right now 
and see where it leads. And the baby step, like yeah. really like baby, baby steps, I think. Yeah. And the baby steps look like, if you're not sure your purpose, like look back in terms of the threads that have come through in your life and the parts of your job that you do enjoy and the relationships that you get something from. But look forward. So notice what you like when you walk into a bookshop. Notice what you're drawn to talk about. Notice the conversations you're engaged in. The more you know yourself, mm. the easier this whole process is going to be. And, and ditto with each other. Like I think mm. we've learned just so much about each other during this phase as well. Yeah, and it goes back to the first myth we were busting. Mm. You know, this is this has been evolution over years yeah. to, to learn about ourselves, you know, very consciously what we do we enjoy, what we do, what we are drawn to. Mm. Um, and we're, we're still doing that. Yeah, totally. And it's and it's that upward cycle of sometimes we go back and mm. there's a, you know, there's that looping, that upward spiral staircase, but we're looping around to the same shit again and again, the same issues, the same beliefs are coming up. We're just seeing them from different perspectives. And I think it's worth remembering that it's not this linear, perfect trajectory. Mm. It's like we're human and we're multi-passionate and... I think most of the suffering I see is is when we become really fixated on the form mm. and what it looks like. Like we might think that we're going to become a painter and that we're going to paint oil on canvas and that we're going to sell that work in a certain gallery that we have in our minds. And like all your all you want from that expression is is a creative expression, a more mm. creative life. There's mm. something within you saying use your creativity more and use your feminine energy more. You, it might not necessarily look like you doing art in that way. It might be that you're teaching art classes or that you're taking a, a, a course in your evenings on it or that there's another creative, maybe you like singing or writing, maybe there's another creative expression, but just not fixating on the form and exactly what it looks like because I mm. think as soon as you fixate on like this is what my journey looks like, you start closing yourself down to opportunities when they arise. And it's in those opportunities that don't necessarily 100% align that you realize what you want. And then mm. you go after that. And then in that, you shed something else and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, I mean, just on that, I think it's important to highlight that a lot of you probably think it takes, you know, we're both particularly courageous or particularly reckless or particularly brave or whatever it is. Absolutely not. Dave's the I... most risk averse person in the universe. <laughs> Absolutely. And He's my... had moments of like quite literally pooing your pants. Well, I've come from a family that has pushed stability and predictability, you know, above all else. Like happiness comes from that, that grounding and those strong foundations. Which and... is true. Absolutely. But, I mean, that's been my background. But I think, going back to what you were saying, Meg, was that what has enabled me to, I guess, pull away from those moorings is the fact that I never had a fixed vision for what my career mm. looked like. Um, so I was open to opportunities because I didn't have a clear vision in my mind of where I wanted mm. to be or where I needed to be, mm. um, which I think, you know, has served me so well. Mm. Um, it might come across as rudderless or aimless but it's been it's been perfect for for me and for our journey i think and mm. you know i think you've come for a different way you are more um 
you know, bold in decisions and willing to take, you know, risks, bigger yeah. life risks. Um, but I also crave, there's also for me that really yeah. crave stability. Yeah. 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 So we've come out from two different points, but we're, you know, it, it just yeah. to say it can work in different ways totally. for different people. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, just got to work to your strengths and know how to incentivize and motivate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, I just think back to when I was really burnt out and, and sick and I'd pushed myself so hard. And I'd pushed myself so hard to meet the vision of what that was an old vision. Like, I never updated or renewed. Like, I never hit refresh on the vision. Mm. (laughs) And so it was stuck in this freeze frame. And over time, that suffocated me because we are evolutionary and we Mm. do change and we are dynamic. And that is part of our nature, whether you're risk-averse or not. Dave's eating a strawberry, so I'm going to continue with the last one, which is the myth of balance and happily ever after. So this is the idea that once you've made the decision to quit your job, everything is going to fall into place. You're never going to have any conflict with your partner. You're going to live happily ever after and um, and be like healthy and fit and a little bit like spray tanned as well, probably. Yeah, that I guess making one decision means the puzzle pieces all fall into place. Yeah, and that magically you're going to have life balance. Like as we said before, we replicated the same stress patterns like over and over and over again Mm. to create balance. We needed to really learn that balance doesn't look a certain way, that balance is a feeling and this idea of tilting, you know, being where our feet are and being fully engaged when we're with our daughter and then being fully engaged when we're at work and then, but doing just one thing at once and being grateful for that and noticing within that, I think that idea of tilting has been really important for us because yeah. I think balance, like striving for balance, again, it's just this expectation that's setting you up for failure. Mm. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, it's a day-to-day struggle. And, you know, arguably when you're working part-time and you're having to fit things around work as it comes up you you almost lose balance in Mm. some ways and that's something that we've talked about as well and you know we've had to question ourselves a number of times of whether the balance we're creating through this model is the most beneficial and as i said it's yeah it's it's about constantly evolving and and realigning and, and like you said it's about tilting and and leaning into where you want to be, mm. um, and seeing seeing how that fits, and potentially readjusting. Mm. You know, it, and you still find it hard, don't you, oh. to to get that that balance in our day because because of the space we have. Mm. There's almost a temptation to fill it. Mm. Oh, hugely! Like we we try and schedule, you know, family time and. And we spend a lot of time together as a family, but we have, you know, Saturday mornings are just like no one messes with Saturday mornings or Saturday days, really. And and over the weekend, we try not to work, you know, very much at all. But um, we'll, I think as an A-type personality, like when you have space and particularly as a woman, when there's so much conditioning around guilt and mm. um, taking time to like nourish ourselves and... Um, yeah, I think it's it's just a constant struggle that we're all 
we're all grappling with like no matter how far into this journey we are one thing i will say is i think at the start the circles started quite large mm. in that we were like you know if you imagine your purpose is in the middle or your values are in the middle of the bullseye mm. we were kind of on the outer perimeter like bashing around me like what is like how do we get there <laughs> but gradually as we've tried things those circles have narrowed. So I feel like the adjustments we make now are like quite minor. Like you always say to me, what do you always say to me? Like they're, they're tweaks. You always say they're tweaks that we're making. We don't have to throw out everything. And I think for anyone wanting to get started on this journey, like imagining them as tweaks, like mm. what can I tweak? What can I pivot in my life now to bring me more in line, in alignment with my values? Yeah. And it can be as simple as, looking at a passion and say, can I earn an income from that? Like, can I make money from that while doing whatever you're doing right now? If you like photography, there are, you know, you can sell pictures. You know, if you like speaking, then there's avenues, you know, to do voice work or, you know, it's the, the way the market is at the moment and, you know, it is evolving towards um, there's so much flexibility and so much demand that you can't even imagine. Mm. Um, and people place value on some of the strangest things. Mm. Um, and there are so many opportunities, um, to, to earn income from so many different sources. And it can be as simple as, you know, Airbnb in a room, if you've got mm. a, a two bedroom apartment, um, to free up some space for you to potentially work part time or, we yeah. constantly sell stuff too. So yeah. it's like many different income streams coming into our household. Yeah. You know, many different yeah. incomes. Like, and, and that's, we're fine with that. We're fine with that. Yeah. Like, because at the end of the day, it's supporting our lifestyle and our, and our vision and yeah, yeah. our values. Um, okay, let's get into the questions. I think we've covered a lot of them, but um, so Naomi says, how have you found or created contract jobs or remote work? And how do you deal with uncertainty? Um, so if someone can't work for long periods because of illness or maybe having a baby or the work doesn't come in the way you need it, you need it to, excuse me. So maybe if you start, like, how have you created contract jobs? And can you be specific about what you previously did relating to what you do now? <laughs> um... Yeah, so a few points on this one. One, you like self belief is so important um, in making this transition, and I have taken like a applied for and b taken on so much work where I wouldn't have thought I had the experience or the expertise or technical understanding or you know the proven record to be able to do that job, but. I went for it and I've got it. I've done, you know, fairly good work from it. Because you've learnt why you're doing it. You just got a job tonight, offer. Oh, literally tonight. I had a job offer. Um, you know, again, it's in a sector um, where I, I haven't had a lot of previous experience. But I have absolutely no doubt I'll be very good at that because I have the skills um, to, to enable me to, to adjust to, to do that. Um, so I think having the confidence and not sort of setting yourself up to, to go down one, you know, linear path mm. has been really important. Um, as we said, sort of early on relationships has been so 
pivotal to my mm. career as well and, and for you as well. Oh, and sometimes like a relationship that is from like 10 years ago has come back into the plot, like into people have been so supportive with our social enterprise, with mm. all the work we've done. Like you just will be floored by how supportive people are of you. And if they're not their issue, you know, but I, like it's and that relationship. It's not just who's around you now. It's who's been around you. Mm. Who are you going to meet tomorrow? And how can you add value to their lives and connect with them in a human way to make them feel good? And there, there is something that's, really sort of, um, I guess the antithesis of what we do a lot is that you do have to be quite, not brazen, but confident in putting yourself out there and saying, this is what I can offer you. This is what I can offer, you know, do or, you know, just reaching out to people and saying, I want to do this. Mm. You know, if anything like that comes up, just let me know because I I can do it. I could be great at that. Um, and you'd be really surprised how much people want to help you. Yeah, totally. If you ask for help. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're not very good at asking for help as, yeah. as humans, but we're not, we're not, we're pack animals, you know. Like, mm. we're, we're supposed to live in these communities. And, like, in terms of real practical su- suggestions, though, it's like, legitimately, we've emailed people, mm. been like, do you have any work? This is what I can do. We've applied for part-time jobs and then asked for contract work. So that's been a big strategy. Yeah. We've um, suggested work to people that we've worked with in the past and yeah. said, like, this is what we can do for you in addition to that thing. We've... What else have we done? Um, yeah, just, like, called, just gone out for coffee with people that share a similar interest or work in a space that we want to work in. Yeah, I, I think whatever it looks like has been... It's being really proactive in Mm. everything you do. Um, I think putting yourself forward as someone that can either be a specialist or a generalist um, and who who says yes to opportunities like we talked Mm. about. But in terms of the second half of the question, Mm. um, the uncertainty, it's absolutely a huge, huge consideration and it it can be a burden as well. Mm. and, you know, if one of us isn't able to work for whatever reason, um, well, actually, I think mm. in, in that, in our scenario, there's huge benefits because we, we can adjust flexibly mm. to meet our needs on any given, not quite day, but month or, um, or period of time. Um, so I think having more flexibility in your work arrangements um, is actually better for that it's yeah. better for, for and you earn you are taxed less the less you earn too right so like yeah. that's always a consideration for us is that you know how much tax are you paying but mm. you said a point like when we we're brainstorming over these questions around how at a certain point there's uncertain like there's something around like the decision you make changes and it doesn't become about avoiding uncertainty it becomes about like how to just live with it and how to manage it mm. yeah i mean going back to what i was saying i, I like everything's I, uncertain anyway right yeah, yeah. And, but that i really crave stability and certainty and so this lifestyle that i have in terms of consulting periodically you know is is very um unsettling in a lot of ways but for me, now that I've been living that for a few years, 
I have great confidence and great certainty in that. In, Something will come through. Yeah, but yeah. in that structure, in, in that dynamic that we have. Mm. And ironically, going back <laughs> to full-time work is the more uncertain yeah. option for me um, because it, it does become ingrained um, and your DNA does evolve to your circumstance. I yeah, think, it does. In, in a lot of and the more you get a taste for this life, like Dave's just had three months of only working three days a week mm. and that's been pretty nice like in terms of how much time you spent with Millie and you know, what you've been able to do in supporting me and, and also your own hobbies and lifestyle and health. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Just in terms of, like, creating that certainty within the uncertainty. At the start of um, the year, we sit down with a giant calendar and we mark out the really important bits for us. Yeah, so we at the start of the year, we marked out two overseas trips. We marked out the big workshops and retreats that I'd be running. We marked out... Um, like some weekends away and, and birthdays and so and weddings and so forth. And to a large extent, we have fitted all our work around those things. They become the non-negotiables because for us, they are the non-negotiables. That's the reason we work. So it's been incredible how like marking space, and that's why I always talk about scheduling over to-do lists, has been like so supportive to creating how much you know, certainty can you create within the uncertainty? And mm. it's about giving yourself life rafts within that to make yourself feel at ease and comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also just having that belief that decisions produce outcomes mm. and opening one door opens other doors. Like Correct. Meg was saying, when we chose to move, you know, put our roots down outside of Melbourne without any jobs... Um, things know, moved, yeah. Things things opened up for us, um, and it's not always luck and fortune. It's choice. It's choice. It's making hard choices for sure. Yeah. Okay, Mel says, "How did you work out what you wanted your income to be? Did you have a minimum set?" Yeah, we kind of talked about it. Yeah. It was not starting from what we wanted our income to be. Mel, it was starting from what we wanted our lifestyle to be and working backwards. So I hope that that's been covered. But if not, more than happy to chat about it. Do you want to add anything to that? Well, I guess just to say that, um, like I mentioned a couple of years ago, our income was way less mm. than it is now because it need, it didn't need to be what it is now. Um, so there is, you know, we have responded to circumstance um, so absolutely there is a minimum, um, and we're very conscious of, of meeting that minimum, mm. but doing it through work that aligns with what, you know, what gives us the most reward. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. And I think a big part of that has been becoming more conscious and mindful of how expenditure feels. So, mm. um, like for me, certainly, I think I was spending a lot of money soothing and, um, probably not really aligned with my values. And it's those purchases that you feel gross about and really guilty afterwards. So the more you just start to bring alignment and intention behind your expenditure, you can actually cut back quite significantly. But I always say, it's not. don't start with restriction. Like, don't start with, I need to cut down my expenditure so I can quit my job. Start with, what does my lifestyle look like? How does that feel? And that's going to be so much more motivating mm. to you yeah. than restriction and guilt and like getting into that hole. Like it's why I don't really talk about budgeting a lot because I think it can get us trapped into this 
yeah like guilt cycle and mm. I think starting from a positive point like what are you working towards and what do I need for that mm. that's a really that's the best tip we can give I think yeah so true mm. um, so Jode says what are some steps or ideas to implement this slowly rather than in one big decision or tree or job change yep um, again probably touched on a lot but um, yeah we, we never had one I mean, aside from quitting... Initially. Initially. Okay. And tree changing. Like, we did make some big yeah, decisions. Okay. That, that's but they didn't... I think this is what this is what I was remembering before, was that they didn't feel like big decisions anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, when you have that self-awareness of what either you do want or what you don't want, they're not big decisions. They're the simplest decisions what was the big decision for us was which country we were going to live in mm. more than the fact that we were going to quit our jobs. Or have a baby or move to the country or like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when there's there's something, when you've got that pull factor, when mm. you've got that motivation, when you've got, you know, that magnetism um, that you're being drawn to, it yeah, it's the big decisions become very small very quickly. Mm. I think it's always about like body knows best, right? So yeah. just following the instincts of your body rather than getting caught up in rational like decision making back and forth in your head and overblowing the consequences of decisions. Like I think Jodie was asking this question not in relation to her but in relation to her husband mm. and like how to make a decision when potentially, you know, there's responsibilities, there's business, there's employees, mm. like I think that the masculine construct can be as inhibiting as the feminine one mm. in some ways, in that in that way. So, like, do you have any advice in terms of that? <laughs> Being a man sure, and whatnot? Easy. Um, oh, I think it is important to acknowledge, and we've certainly found this, the older we've gotten, the the harder decisions do get as well mm. because there's added responsibilities, there's added implications. There's just the domino effect of doing one thing becomes greater. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we certainly don't mean to diminish how challenging decisions can be. Um, you know, I, I don't have any <laughs> I, well, s- simple yeah. advice in terms of how to, how to break that pattern. Um, but... You know, aside from what we've talked about in terms of having that that confidence, that self belief, um, and knowing that when you're doing things from a self aware place to to get to a life that you want to be living, mm. um, it can be amazing how things do fall into place. And that when you're living from that place, you're adding value in so many different ways than when you're sick or stuck or uninspired or mm. yeah, you are like you're making an impact on a different level. I think and. Yeah. Like, I think my one suggestion would be to just create some space somewhere, even if it's marking out one hour a week, where there's nothing but just responding to how you feel at that moment. Mm. Like, that can create tremendous change because you can't make decisions or get the ducks in a row or do any of that stuff when you're stressed, when you're feeling really stuck. Like, you need space and from space things start to emerge so mm. that would be my like number one takeaway yeah absolutely i mean even like the other week 
when I was getting the train to Melbourne, you said, just take a notebook down with you mm. and do some writing about where you want to be. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's something I think we take for granted that we know where we want to go. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not always self-evident. Mm. Cool. Do you, want, do you want to read that one? Oh, sure. So this one's from Carly. So the question is around finding your purpose. Um, you know, a lot of people seem to have that light bulb moment um, or have always been passionate in something other than, you know, their present sort of nine to five. Um, so what about the rest of us? Um, and yeah, that was the first myth. And Carly, it's, I think we're in a majority rather than a minority of people that don't have that light bulb moment. Um, and I still couldn't tell you what my career is going to look like or what, you know, my profession is going to look like in 10 years, five years, two years. I don't know. Mm. Um, it's, it's an evolution and like just taking small steps in a direction that feels good. Um, it'll, it'll unveil itself. It'll totally unveil itself. And like, even now, people would think that I'm on purpose Mm. and even now I feel like there's still refinement for me Mm. like but a big part of that has been like shedding um the imposter syndrome kind of mentality Mm. a lot and the more I've kind of trusted my instinct and trusted myself and and it's been really hard to do that but I pay a lot of people to 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 tell me to trust myself Mm. And the more I've, like, just sunk into what feels good, the more things have unveiled themselves and the more on purpose I feel. But being on purpose doesn't mean I do one thing. I run a business, I consult, I'm a mother, I'm a friend, I'm a family member, I am I volunteer, I do work in the local region, I play football. Like, we're multifaceted beings. And so finding a purpose doesn't mean the one thing you'll do for the rest of your life. Finding your purpose means finding purpose in your everyday. Mm. Finding a reason to get out of bed every morning and experiencing the, the little great things that make up our lives. Like, that's purpose to me. So, yeah. And that's something you work through a lot with your clients, isn't it? Mm. Like that that finding the purpose, that spark. Yeah, finding what lights them up, really. And that's what I think a lot of women are looking to you fine because they don't have that light bulb they don't have that awareness that's just been you know dominating their existence but they can't reach it it's actually working Mm. through that to to identify it well i think it's it's so much about just reconnecting them with Mm. their own instincts and you know clarissa pincolas says who wrote women who run with the wool she says women have been domesticated and we've been removed you know in the malleur of life from our instincts and what feels good and that's why i teach mindfulness to women as the first point because Mm. i'm teaching them how to respond to feelings that are coming in their bodies and and the more you can connect with the feelings that are coming in and out of your body the more that they're gonna be able to show you the way yeah yeah i'm just lucky as a man i have you as my wife so you can do that for me you never have to express feelings or emotions. No, I'm saying you can take me, you help me through that journey as well. Yeah, as for sure. Other men out there, they can't necessarily take you on as a coach. Oh, there's a lot of coaches for men as well. It's true. 
Do you want to read the last one and I'll sure. talk to it? Uh, so, Liz, uh, I think more to you, Meg. Uh, how do you find clients? Um, I'm wanting to set up a coaching business but have no idea how to find clients, especially when confidence isn't so high, um, having not been doing this for long. Um, yeah. So, what, what's been your journey, Meg? How do I find How's clients? it happened for you? Um, just to like myth bust a little bit for those of you who think I run a six-figure business, I have six clients at any one time, one-on-one, and then I run workshops maybe once or twice, like once every second month. So I'm not like got like 20 clients coming out of like every hour because I can't fit them in. I'm very intentional about who I choose to work with now. But that's come from working with a lot of people who weren't my clients. <laughs> mm. So, Liz, how do you find clients? I want to take you back to this idea of not how do you find clients, but how can you add value to people who have problems? And the, a lot of people will tell you to niche up and to, like, find, like, the most, you know, the most niche part of women's experience or a person's experience and to sell it based on their pain point and to really make them feel awful about themselves so they buy your coaching services. But my biggest piece of advice is to just tell your story and to tell it truly and to speak with how coaching has changed your life or to really get comfortable with just oversharing a little bit because... That's what people connect with. They connect with you and they connect with your story. They don't connect with your website. They don't connect with a sales pitch. They don't connect with um, a, a price. They don't connect with a generic email. People connect with the story and they connect with you. So the more you can get comfortable with talking about yourself, the more you're going to attract the, the people that you really want to work with. Um, and that's a really ter- terrifying thing. But I, I'll just say, like, the, and this is, like, really recent for me. This is really, I've been doing this three years. It's really recent that I go to an event. I was at one on Saturday night, and I tell people what I do. Like, how recent has that been? Like, I used to just be like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. I, like, I even used to say I work in public health because I do consulting work. But I, it's remarkable when you tell people what you do that they go, oh, I need someone like you in my life. And so much of the fear and like we, we're holding value back from the world by not telling people what we do and how we can add value. And if it's not to their lives, it might be to their friends' lives or someone else's lives. And I just like can't reiterate enough to just don't listen to all the marketing bullshit. Don't do all the courses. Start speaking to people. Start telling them about your experience and what you do. And you'll be amazed that it might not happen tomorrow or next month. It might be six months later. People will come and people will remember you. And, and the more you talk about what you do and what you're passionate about, that's what connects with other people's heart spaces. So, And that's what you get confidence from. So I hope that helps. I'm really happy to chat more with you specifically about that. But um, thanks for everyone's questions because they're really good questions, aren't they? Mm. And uh, just listening to that, I think that answer it applies across all areas of work and business Mm. um, and attracting work to you um, through that openness and through that honesty and through that genuine connection with people. Mm. Um, It's true of your clients in coaching and I think it's 
has been true of my experience as well, consulting, mm. you know, in peace and conflict. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that has a real currency for sure across all of what we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank right. you. No, thank you. I've quite enjoyed our little chat. Yeah, it's all right. We, we should talk more. Well, that was a very long one. I don't think anyone could listen to anything, any one more word that either of us is going to say. No, we'll, we'll continue talking post. Let us know what you thought of this podcast, if you've got any follow-up questions, if anything's resonated, um, if you want to hear more of Dave, because he's it's, quite it's special. my first ever podcast, so be kind with comments and feedback. I'm, <laughs> I'm a sensitive soul. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, thanks, Mick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the opportunity, and thanks to everyone for listening and for the questions. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.